Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. And I know that in our church we have a number of guys named Thomas here. And since this is broadcast literally all over the world, some of you might have that name Thomas. And you think, why is everybody looking at me when my name is Thomas? And they always think that I'm the bad guy, that I'm the doubting Thomas. Well, let me see if I can raise the awareness of this guy, Thomas. Yes, there were times that he had some doubts. But if you follow him through Scripture on three significant events, each one of those events was really born out of the fact that he deeply, really loved the Lord. One time, Jesus is in a location, and he hears that his friend, Lazarus, is sick, and he loves Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. And the Lord says, let's go down and uh, be there for that occasion, although he took two days to get there. And the guys were hearing that and they said, oh Lord, you don't want to go there. They're going to kill you over there because that's way down in Bethany near Jerusalem. And there was a lot of hatred for Jesus, but he was going down anywhere. And then Thomas was the guy who chimed in and said, well, let's all go down there and die together. Well, some people say that he was a little pessimistic, kind of a sarcastic. Well, if we're going to die. Let's all die together. And that's possible. It also could be we really love the Lord. And if um, he's going to die, we're going to die with him. So somewhere along the line, wherever Jesus was going to be, he wanted to be there with him. So there was that connection. So some of you Thomases that are out there that are often uh, jokingly said, oh, you're the doubting Thomas, it could be because you really love the Lord so much and you even want more of him to continue to reveal more so that you can increase your faith more. The second time it happened, if you remember, Jesus is now nearing the end of his ministry, going toward the cross, and he says this. He says, I'm about to go. And he says, if any man uh, trusts me, you know, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And he says, you can't go right now. You can't go. And then Thomas says, well, wherever you go, where are you going? You know, how do we get there? In other words, he wanted to be where Jesus was. And so the Lord was explaining that he's going to be in heaven and that Thomas could be there too in the context. And so Thomas, again, is out after wanting to be with the Lord. Then at the end of our passage that we're going to study today, it starts out with, uh, Lord, unless you do this, I can't believe... At the end, this Thomas, who was the doubting Thomas, grew the faith, and he made, in my opinion, one of the greatest confessions in all of Scripture. When he looks to the Lord and says, my Lord and my God, out of all of them. So maybe you're one of those Thomases out there that you have a little bit of doubting, but I believe that you're growing your faith, that you will have the greatest confession. Now, even his name, Thomas, in Scripture, is referred to as Didymus. I think I like the name Thomas better than Didymus, all right? And for short, Thomas is Tommy, and short for Didymus is Diddy, and I don't like Diddy, so Thomas would work. But do you know what the word Didymus means? It means twin. Now, most people believe that that means that Thomas probably had a twin. We don't hear any more about it other than the fact that out of the twin, this one was selected, so we have Thomas. But in a more general state, I think that Thomas has a lot of twins. There are times that I've been very much like Thomas. I love the Lord, but I don't understand what's going, and I kind of want the Lord to kind of show me more, and I'm not ready yet at that moment to fully just have faith. I need a little bit more. And so God has shown me through His Word that I'll get more of that faith as I'm in His Word. So maybe like Thomas, we have those same kind of doubts, but maybe like Thomas, we're going to come to a point like Thomas did, and no longer was there any element of lack of faith in Thomas. Once he said, my Lord, my God, from then on, and with the filling of the Spirit, he was powerfully strong and courageous for God. And maybe that's where you're going to be today. And I really hope that that would be it. 
So not only do you want to have faith, but I'd like to share with you how you can have faith. Well, let's give you the background of this passage. If you have your Bibles, you want to turn to John chapter 20, if you will. Turn to John chapter 20. We're going to pick it up at verse 24 of John chapter 20, but I need to let you know how this thing starts and what's happened here. Verse uh, 24 says this. It says, But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. Okay, well, where was he, and why wasn't he there, and what's happening at this particular point? So let me explain the background. The background is simply this. Jesus shows up on the Resurrection Sunday, that Sunday morning, late in the afternoon now, and when he does, he looks at the disciples that were there, and he says, peace be to you. And he says, don't worry, I am who I am, etc. Look at me, look at the scars, look at my hand, look at my side. And these guys, they rejoice because they believed it was Jesus. In this context, you're going to find that Thomas wasn't there. Now, I don't know why he wasn't there. It wasn't until eight days later that the Lord revealed himself to Thomas to strengthen Thomas's faith. Now, keep that in mind that he wasn't there for eight days. He wasn't there at this particular event. So he didn't get a chance to see Jesus up close personal the first time. He wasn't the one that was able to see the scars in his hand and the spear wound in the side that Jesus had. So he was out of the pocket that time. So let's learn what Thomas did to eliminate the doubts that he had. So the first point would be eliminate your doubts. So it says, so the other disciples were saying to him, we've seen the Lord. So not only eight days earlier, they were excited about seeing the Lord. Now they can't wait to tell Thomas, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the imprint of the nails, and I put my finger into the place of the nails, and then I put my hand, the whole hand, into his side, which means that it was probably a much wider wound. He says, I will not believe. Well, as I looked over that passage, I began to ask myself, what would be some reasons that people would normally struggle and have doubts? What well, could be some of those? And maybe there's something here in Thomas's life that would cause me to think that he had doubts for some reasons. Here's the first one that I came to, and it worked for me, and it might do for you. His requirements for belief was that he had to see it or he had to touch it. In other words, there had to be a particular visible way to be able to accept the fact that this was Jesus. He had to really see it. And the Lord now, we know, says that he's not going to come back down and show us these prints in his hands at this time any longer, but we have his word to do that. And that's why it says in Hebrews chapter 11 that faith is actually experiencing that which we don't see because our faith then reveals it to us. And so beyond that, that would be the case. And so I got thinking, do we put unrealistic requirements on our faith? That in other words, unless the Lord does certain things, we're not going to believe it. So we actually make God, Christ, have to perform beyond what Scripture already says that He has. Later on, we're going to learn that He did a lot of other miracles, but everything we need to know about Him has already been recorded in Scripture. It's all there for us. But we have that unrealistic requirement. So really what we need to have is what is known as what I called faith that's informed or informed trust that we have. So we have truth. Once we have the truth, now we have something that we can look at and now we can trust it. So whether or not we see Jesus, everything we need to do to see Jesus is right here in Scripture. If you recall, there was an individual in Scripture by the name of the rich man. And when he went to hell, he said, I, I just wish that someone could come back and tell my family about Jesus Christ and you know, it even said that no matter what happened, even if you came back, nothing would be able to help you unless you believe now. So it's important for us to have that. But there's a second thing that I looked at, and that is that fellowship can also hinder us from strengthening our faith. 
If you recall, it was eight days from the time that Jesus showed himself to the disciples until the time that he was now revealed here. That's eight days. I got thinking, okay, where was Thomas? Thomas was with him in the garden, heard Jesus say the last, was there when the temple police showed up, was there when the Roman guards showed up, with all that commotion, and then Jesus said, okay, let these guys go. So they all fled except Peter and, and uh, John, and so they're all gone. So now Thomas is realizing something serious is about to happen with my Lord whom I love, so he runs away. I'm sure that in the next few days he's hearing that Jesus Christ was horribly tortured and that he died. The very one that he loved, the very one that he was willing to die with is now gone. It's possible that with Thomas's personality he was a little melancholy. It could be that he just kind of couldn't make sense of all of this, so he kind of internalized it and he went away from it all and just wanted to be by himself. What happened? What have I done with my last three years following Jesus? What about what he had to say? What's happened? He's now really gone and look what they've done to Jesus and this whole plan is now all messed up. So he's all alone. So he missed being together with the guys when Jesus came. Now, I don't know that that's the case, but I do know he wasn't there. And had he been there, he would have then seen Jesus's, Jesus himself, but he would have seen those nail prints and the scar eight days earlier. He missed that. So I'm wondering sometimes that our faith is not as strong as it can be because we don't associate in fellowship as often as we should. Now, I don't want to make that to be the only component to strengthen our faith, but if we want to eliminate our doubts, one of the things we do need to do is to gather together in a place where Christ himself is glorified and exalted. And now taken today, it would be where the word of God, who is the written word of Christ, is now taught on a regular basis. Let me ask a question here, and I'm going to ask you to raise your hand in response. So get ready. Here it is. Have you ever heard a sermon preached, or in a Sunday school, a particular class, that as you were leaving that class, you said to yourself, Boy, am I glad that I was here today. It was as if the Lord was speaking right to me today. Has that ever happened? Would you raise your hand if that's happened to you? Now, look around, everybody. Look around. Can you see? All right. Now, I'm going to do it one more time. How many times has that happened to you more than once? Would you raise your hand? Okay, now look around. Now, here's the case that I'd like to build with you. Can you imagine what it had been like if you weren't there that Sunday or that small group study? you would have missed just that alone by not being there. Now, could God bring it to you another time in another way? I think most assuredly that he would. How would I know that? Thomas missed the first time. So eight days, or maybe longer now, he was in a state of misery, quandary, uncertainty, depression, discouragement. Perhaps he was even in a point where he was wanting to die. We don't know. But what we do know, his faith very well could have been strengthened eight days earlier had he been with the guys earlier. Now, Scripture talks about the value of meeting together with one another. I've given you those verses, so let me take you through them quickly. If you will, look in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12 and 13. The writer of Hebrews, inspired by the Holy Spirit for us believers today, says this, Take care. So that means wake up. Pay attention, get involved with this. Take care, brethren, so it's referring to those that know Christ, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. Well, since today our main thrust is believing and unbelieving, you might want to underline that, an unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. So since it's speaking to believers here, that means that our hearts can be unbelieving, and when we do not strengthen our faith, 
that means that our faith is becoming weaker. So our belief is now shifting into a little less belief, a little less belief, and finally perhaps full-blown unbelief. So it says here again, Be very careful that any one of you have an unbelieving heart falling away from the living God. Then it says, But encourage one another day after day. So one of the ways that we keep from falling away with an unbelieving heart is we come alongside other believers on a regular basis, more than just Sunday, but maybe at least Sunday, because that's the day we meet together corporately. We set aside that time to do that. So that our purpose is to encourage one another. By encouraging one another, how do you encourage someone? Here's a definition of encouragement for you. Very simple. Encouragement is helping that person see their problems from God's perspective. Helping that person see their problems from God's perspective. In other words, you're pointing them to the picture of who God is. Now this morning in our class with our young people, we were talking about the attributes of God and how that God is vitally engaged in our life. And we are vitally engaged in who He is in our life to give us the strength of our faith. So we come together for that very purpose. Now, on the other hand, we can gather together as Christians in one building every day of the week and still not walk away with our faith strengthened. Our faith gets strengthened when we engage one another by encouraging one another. So while our conversations might begin on a surfacey level, such as, how was your week? You've been healthy? How's things going on the job? How are the kids? All those are surfacey questions that I hope you're asking one another, genuinely wanting to know what's going on, But the purpose is to hear some kind of a response where they feel safe that you'll come alongside them and see how you can share their burden and together grow your faith with one another, perhaps even ending in a moment of prayer, whether it's the lanai or the stairwell or in the sanctuary here, wherever it might be, all the time strengthening one another. When that person leaves, a lot of things happen. One, they met someone who really cares about them. It wasn't say, hey, how you doing? And looking for the next person to say hi to. But it's engaged, how was your week? No, how really was your week? And then when you share, you begin to talk about it. And please, don't say those three most painful words. Just have faith. You want to hear what they're going through. And then together begin to share, asking the Lord privately what you can say to help that person. And watch this. And when you share how your week is, if that person wants to give you a word of encouragement from the word, that you would receive it humbly. And that perhaps God wanted that person to share that scripture with you. And then when you leave here, I guarantee, supernaturally, unexplainably, you will be encouraged and those doubts will begin to be eliminated. Because it says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. What are doubts? Doubts are mostly anxiety and fears, aren't they? And so when you have the fear of the future, fear of failure, fear of whatever... That's the doubts that you have, and that comes in. And when you have the presence of doubts and fear, that means you have the absence of faith. When you have the presence of faith, you begin to see the the loss of the fear, and great courage comes back to you. So fellowship is so important. Look at the next. It says here, do it as long as it is called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, which means that if we're not gathering together, there is a possible hardening. Now here's a thought for you. Based on this, you saw that Thomas was not with them eight days earlier. He is now with them. Before, he didn't say, I don't really believe. He said, let's go die with him. Lord, where are you going so we can go with you? But by being separated from this group of guys, not being there when Jesus showed up in their midst the first time, it, all, it only took eight days for him to get to the point, unless I see this, I'm not going to believe. You know, it kind of really dropped. 
Now, I'm not going to make a big issue that you've got to be in church every single Sunday, you know, or every time the doors are open. But I am asking you to ask yourself before the Lord, wouldn't it help me in my faith-strengthening walk with the Lord if I gathered around other Christians who are purposely there to speak into my life about areas that I need to be improved in, areas that they want to bless me in and affirm that I'm doing in my life, and I could be there to use my gift in their life as well? Wouldn't that strengthen my faith? And it says that I should do this, as it says here in Scripture, and I really love it, as it's called today, maybe because we won't have tomorrow. All right, look at the next passage, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 34 and 35, it should say. It says here, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love. I like that word stimulate. What can I do to kind of create an environment where I can stimulate one another to love and good work, good deeds? I want them to love more. I want them to see that God loves them more. I want them to understand that others are loving them. I want to stimulate them to love and to be loved and good deeds so that they're not just paralyzed and doing the things of the world, not forsaking our own assembling together. A lot of times we do that. And may I also encourage you this. I'm going to pause here, and I, I, I want to say this in as much love, and I wish I was on your lanai, and you could, I don't have to feel so powered up here, but I've got to tell you this. There could come a time in your life that there'll be things about a church or a group that you're not comfortable to be with or things in your life, and it's very easy to sit home. There's no traffic that you have to go from your bedroom to the couch to the remote to watch a television preacher. The house is not too cold or too hot. The seat is your little seat. You've already kind of worn your little pocket in your little lazy board. I get all of that. You can dress any way that you want. You have nobody that's picking on you. You don't have to wait in line for anything. And you're right there. And I promise you there are some great communicators on television. Far better than I am. I didn't say sound or more sound theologically or teaching the truth. Just better communicators. And so they could weave a message and bring that to you, but you don't know what they're like. You don't see them, and there's nobody that's speaking into your life. And so while that might be a little wrapped-up Hershey bar once in a while on a Sunday when you're sick and you can't gather together, your car's broken down, that is not a full-blown, healthy, spiritual meal that God has designed to strengthen your faith. Let's go back to the passage. It says, um, "...not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some." which means that there are people that purposely buy into that and that becomes their very habit that they do that. Sometimes they've realized that they need other brothers and sisters and what they do is they go to other churches and they can hide. I can do that. You know, when I'm away, I go to another church. Sometimes it's kind of neat. I go in incognito. Nobody knows that's Stan Pons. And so Carol and I will sit there all by ourselves and we'll enjoy the music and we kind of watch what they do. We grab up one of their worship folders, see what they're doing. How is he preaching? Is it theologically accurate? Is it speaking in my life? So I'm, I'm all out watching that. But I have no relationship with anybody except maybe the one person who invited me to come to this church or I might have met that preacher at some other conference. But nobody's there who knows me well enough to be able to speak best into my life to strengthen my faith. So what I have to do is figure it out and suck it up from the teacher-preacher to bring it into my life. Is that bad? No, it's better than staying home watching TV. But is it enough? No. We need to find a group of people the best of the the worst of the worst of the best, the group of people that love the Lord the best that they can. Stay with that group. Learn from one another. Share one another and grow in grace and the knowledge of the Lord around His Word. That's one of the ways we begin to eliminate doubts. Nobody's perfect. I guarantee that. But it's worth putting up with the imperfections of one another to learn as people are coming to us and we're coming to them to help grow them. And I pray that that would be the case 
for all of us. Well, let's go to the second here that we see in his life. I'm going to go back to the passage again. Let's turn to John 20 again and pick it up where we kind of left off here. What a, what a rich passage of Scripture talking about the life of, of, of uh, Thomas that we might be able to learn something from his life as well. So uh, it, it goes a little bit further here uh, in uh, John chapter 20. So when it was even on the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut, when the disciples were there, that's the first time that they met. Now we're back into verse 21. So Jesus said to them again, peace be with you, and so I send you. Thomas not only didn't see the Lord, he didn't get the commission from the Lord at this time. He didn't have something else to do next. And so now, if you will, drop down to verse 24. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. That's the point we're making. So the other disciples are saying to him, we've seen the Lord, but he said unto them, Unless I see in his hands the imprint of the nails, and I put my finger into the place of the nails, and my hands into his side, I will not believe. That's a very painful thing. And what I'd like to submit to you now is that there's a time in our life that we have to come to a point that we have to redirect our will and choose to trust. I'm going to build a case here in a moment, but we have to make that choice where I'm going to believe that He is large and in charge, like what we like to say, that He is God, that He is who He claimed to be, that Scripture is real. It is God's mind on paper. It is a time that I have to finally cross over the line from how much evidence do I really need and do I really need to feel like I have this experience with Jesus to the point where I have to say, I'm choosing to will this. I'm choosing to activate my faith in this direction. Now, that's a choice that we make one time at the beginning to say, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Lord. I believe the Bible's inspired. Now, Lord, the rest of my life, I'm going to grow in that knowledge. So you're not growing in doubts, but you're moving ahead by the choice of will. Have you ever wondered why we sometimes have those unbeliefs? I think sometimes unbelief comes when Satan gives a sudden unbelief. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand on this one. But has there been a time in your life as a Christian that you were just, you know, you know Christ, you know the Word, but all of a sudden this thought came into your mind? I wonder if um, those cults are right and I'm wrong. I wonder if heaven really isn't for real. I, I, I wonder if all those years I spent in the Word and this is just a good book, but it's leading me down the wrong path. What about Islam? I mean, there's a lot of people that believe in that, and they, may, they might be right. That momentary act of, is that right? Could I be wrong? I want you to know that that's a satanic arrow that's got through your armor at that moment for you to begin to question the veracity of God and His Word. It's not wrong to say, I need to explore what they believe, need to know what the Scriptures have to say, and I know the Scripture is right and they don't have truth. That, I get that. But those momentary sudden doubts, I want you to know, they didn't come from anywhere, but you were blindsided by an arrow from Satan. Then you have what I call circumstantial doubts. These are the ones that move a little bit more slowly and they, la they last a little bit longer. For example, you have a passage of Scripture and it just doesn't make sense. You can't figure it out. You looked into the context. I don't understand. What does this really mean? But instead of going to those that could guide you through the original languages or through the study of hermeneutics, the proper interpretation of Scripture, you let that little doubt stay within your mind. Now, it doesn't sabotage your faith. It doesn't wash away your faith. But it's like one little brick that's in your bag as you're going out swimming. And then you read a little further, another book, and then you hear another about another verse, and you didn't get the answer to that one either. And now you begin to question, 
or there's a person that you've trusted very much to influence you in God's Word. But then you find that there's a flaw in his character somewhere. Well, instead of realizing that he's wrapped in flesh, you then look at that and you begin to say, well, it must not be real because if it was real, he would not have done or she would not have done or said or whatever that is. So now all of a sudden, because of that person, we put all of our trust in God in that person. If that person isn't right, that means all that truth behind it must not be right. And so it's a slow, long process that causes our, our doubts and our fears that come into our life instead of hitting them head on. There was a time we didn't have those doubts. We didn't have those questions. We're pretty comfortable with that. Now this came up. So what do we do with it? We sit down and we get that resolved. Now most of us will say, you're right, Pastor, that's right. I need to resolve that. I need to make sense out of this. I need to get help because I don't want any of this to steal my faith away from me. But I'm just too busy. Well, again, I would encourage you that if you have such a busy life that you can't handle the rest of this right here, your life will get more and more complicated because then you won't be responding to the word like you should. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Thank you.